Thank you, choir. Invite you to turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 6. What do you want from God? What do you want Jesus to do for you? In our text this morning, we find a large crowd of people following after Jesus. And this is a good thing. However, Jesus challenges their motives. He exposes for them the false ideas they have about God, about themselves, and their need for a Savior. We still struggle with these issues today. I chose this text as we anticipate taking the Lord's Supper together. And so I ask you to to listen and begin to prepare your hearts for communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. I will read verses 1 through 15 and 25 through 40. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages could not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about five thousand of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And at this point, the disciples cross over the lake. Jesus will follow them later in the night, walking upon the water, upon which the following morning the people discover that Jesus is no longer with them, and so they follow after him to look for him in Capernaum. And so we pick up in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Now I'll raise him up at the last day. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, I simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Occasionally, I will call my wife on a weekday morning just to check in and see how things are going. And sometimes she will reply, well, we're on our third breakfast. We laugh and chuckle often about the seemingly endless morning feedings amongst our five young children. We lovingly refer to their bellies as bottomless pits. We joke that they were perhaps born with at least one hollow leg. We have to wonder, where does all the food go? We even speculate that perhaps between the ages of one and two, they're even born with a gizzard, with all the rocks and the dirt they consume outside. You would think that they were never fed. But half jestingly and half seriously, I've told my wife on a number of occasions, I'm just going to build her a big trough, and we'll establish it right there in the kitchen, and she can load it with Cheerios and goldfish crackers and apple slices so our children can graze on it all morning long, and so she won't have to get up to feed them. Or better yet, I'll create dispensing machines in which our children can just go up and push a button, like a reward, you know, like how scientists train the rats, and the food just comes down to keep them fed. The problem is, you have to clean up all the mess that accumulates on the floor, and so I have to come up with another invention to automatically clean up the floor so we don't have to sweep it nine times a day. Or maybe or perhaps I'll just give in and finally get my children a dog. <laughs> I sympathize with the people in our text who come to Jesus seeking for him to feed their bellies, not to mention to heal them and to be a ruler over them. Hunger is hard. It was even harder in their day than it is in our own. But I believe what's beautiful about this passage is Jesus' compassion upon a people who royally insult him by their unbelief. Jesus does not get irritated with this people the way I do with my own children. Nevertheless, Jesus is very firm with them. For they must learn that life is more than food, health, and good government. Their eternal welfare is at stake. Like these people, we are hungry. We are searching for bread. In this modern society in which we live, we have largely alleviated the curse on the ground, being able to produce more than enough food than we need. And yet still, we find this gnawing in our hearts and our souls, seeking significance and satisfaction. As religious people, we know that only God can fill these needs. 
However, we often come to God on the wrong terms, on our own. We abuse God, we misuse His means. And like these first century people, we fail to receive the Savior who alone feeds us with life-giving bread. I'd like to consider briefly three things about how these people want a Savior who can heal, who can make them a deal, and give them a meal. In verse 2, we see that the crowds are following Jesus. Why? Because he healed them. He relieved their suffering, and that's part of why Jesus came. People saw the signs and they followed him. The problem, as, the problem though, is the text goes on, and as other gospel accounts record... The people continue to ask of Jesus to perform signs for them. The religious leaders will ask signs of proof, and Jesus will refuse them. They want to lead him along like a pet and use him to satisfy their own fetishes for wonders. He must meet their expectations. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the God-man full of compassion He drew people to himself largely by meeting their felt needs first. Christ delivers people from their perils. Christ indeed will provide for all of your needs. But if all you want from Jesus is to scratch your itches, then you are merely using him like a vendor, like a spiritual services provider. God is not a vending machine. Yes, we ask him for stuff, but that is not all we are to ask for. Moses asked God to show him his glory. David asked that he might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his holy temple. God delights to know you, and he wants you to know him as well. So my first question tonight is, are you seeking God Or are you only seeking what God can do for you? In verse 5, Jesus sees the crowd. And he doesn't just see masses. He sees people who are burdened by sin and oppression. He sees the needy and has compassion upon them. He sees the ignorant and he wants to teach them. And then notice in verse 6, Jesus throws his disciples a curveball. He asks them, where are we going to go to buy bread for all these people? Jesus, the questioner, likes to put his followers in a crisis to test their faith. Now, verse, in verse 7, Philip the pragmatist makes a quick, rough estimate that not even 200 days' wages would be enough money to buy food for all these people. And perhaps he's concealing a greedy motive of, of concluding, rationalizing, that since we can't buy for everyone... Let's not even try to buy for anyone and just send them all away. Then there's Andrew, the problem solver, who takes action. He finds a little boy with a few resources of food. He brings him to Jesus to see what Jesus will do. But like Philip, he also questions the value of trying to help with so little when the need is so great. We ask ourselves some of these same defeatist questions when we are burdened by the needs of people. 
Christians who endeavored to do outreach to the impoverished people of a city can become overwhelmed by the need and by their mere meager resources. Why bother when we see such grave desperation and feel so helpless to do anything about it? We must remember that God is not helpless and his resources are not limited. God is not asking us to solve all the problems or determine where we're going to find everything to meet the need. He simply tells us to go where he calls us and to trust him to provide for all that we need to do the work of ministry. Well, the disciples are trying, but their faith is weak. Jesus takes action. He asks the people to sit down. And notice, without any fanfare, Jesus simply takes the bread gives thanks, and begins to distribute it amongst the people. There is food enough for everyone. In fact, the disciples return with more food than they had begun with. When God blesses a ministry, he leaves plenty left over. In verse 14, the people react. They declare that Jesus must be a prophet. But why are they so excited? Verse 15 reveals that they not only saw him as the prophet, but as perhaps the Messiah. The Roman oppression was over. Jesus is declared king in Israel. They wanted a king like their forefathers, who didn't want God to be king. These are people who want to make a deal, to fulfill their dreams for political freedom. How do we play, let's make a deal with God? I will follow you, God, if you don't let anything bad happen to me or my family. If you let me prosper. If I don't suffer. If you'll heal all my diseases. We invite God to join us in our political causes, to meet our economic goals, And like Joshua's naive question, we ask, are you for us or are you for our enemies? To which the Lord's commander responded with a resounding no. Likewise, Jesus returns a firm no to the crowds, whose motive is to make Jesus king by force. Jesus will not be a deal maker. He withdraws by himself into the mountain. He will not be a pawn in the hands of carnal-minded men. Well, after the race across the lake, the people find their Messiah. They are a determined bunch. But in verse 26, Jesus confronts them because they are not seeking him, nor are they even seeking his powers and signs. They merely want a free meal. And so in this teachable moment, Jesus exhorts them and us to invest our labor not in food that perishes, but in food that is eternal, food that we don't even labor for at all. Elsewhere, Jesus will tell us to not lay up for ourselves treasure on earth where moths eat, rust corrodes, and thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That is secure forever. Few of us, I believe, struggle to keep food on the table. 
living in a time of prosperity and a land of plenty. And yet many of us are starving, feeding on our work, ambition, entertainment, and sensual pleasure, misusing God's good gifts in ways that they were never intended. Jesus exhorts us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. In verse 28, the people ask Jesus what works they are to do. But Jesus does not give them a to-do list. Jesus tells them that the work of God is to believe in the one whom was sent. Belief is hard work. It's hard work because it requires the maintenance of belief and weeding out all the false ones. We have to constantly uproot our self-sufficiency, our trust in government, our trust in work and the almighty dollar. Stop making gods out of wealth, image, and beauty. The work of God is hard because it is so simple. And we are the ones who make it complicated. The hard work of belief is keeping it simple. The trust of a little child. In verses 30 and following, the people still want a sign from Jesus. They even tempt him to perform a sign by referencing the famous miracle of God in the wilderness when he provided manna for 40 years to God's people. The people perhaps are thinking, this is great. We have a prophet in the likeness of Moses. He can lead us around Galilee, feed us bread, and just tell us all these great stories. Wouldn't that be great? To be on a permanent retreat with Jesus. No more going to work. No more toiling or laboring. Yet Jesus has no intention of becoming another Moses. He remembers how the people tested God with their complaining and grumbling. He will not give them what they want. To do so will be to deny them something better. Jesus informs them that they will only receive the bread that the Father gives from heaven. And then he clarifies that the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. In verse 34, the people erupt with this desire. From now on, give us this bread. Their request echoes the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, who upon hearing Jesus discuss eternal water, asked him to give her that water. So that she no longer has to come back to the well in the heat of the day. But like her, these people misunderstood. They were so focused on their physical, temporary needs that they were blind to the greater spiritual reality of their need for a precious Savior. So Jesus clarifies for them that He is the bread of life. The people are still thinking crushed grain. Jesus is thinking His body crushed on their behalf. The people want to fill their bellies. Jesus wants to fill their souls with eternal life. The people want to satisfy hunger. Jesus wants to satisfy the righteous requirements of the law and appease God's holy wrath by sacrificing himself in the place 
of sinners. You and I are not all that different from these people. A woman seeking relief from going to the well. A people seeking relief from their toil in the fields and the markets. What is the one thing that you are tempted to ask of God to do for you, to make your life easier? If you never had to do blank ever again, what would it be? Mowing your yard. Changing the oil. Changing a diaper. Going to the dentist. Folding laundry. Cleaning up kitty crumbs from the car seats. But how about your struggle with sin? Wouldn't it be great if God just took it away? If you didn't have to deal with it anymore. But if you didn't need to come to the throne to confess your sin, would you still come? Maybe God lets you continue struggling because that's the only way he can keep your attention. Most of us, I believe, just want God to make our problems go away. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe God does not intend to take it away? Because that's not his best for you. Paul suffered some mysterious thorn in the flesh. And yet God left it there to humble him. To keep him dependent upon the Lord. Are you widowed? Wondering why God still leaves you here on earth. Feed on the bread of life. Are you lonely? Seek seek the consolation of life-giving bread. Are you stuck in a dead-end job with little recourse to fix your professional or financial situation? Stop fantasizing about a better job, about the dream spouse, the dream house. Come to Jesus, the living bread. There is only one source that can satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst. The wheat fields of America's bread baskets cannot produce it. The technology centers of Silicon Valley cannot manufacture it. The research institutions of our halls of higher learning cannot discover it or invent it. Wall Street cannot calculate it. Washington, D.C. cannot pass legislation on it or pass a ruling on it. Neither the warm Florida sands nor the breathtaking views of the Colorado Rockies can pacify it. There is nothing in all of this glorious democratic and productive society that can do anything to meet our greatest need. The consolation of soul and the peace with God that comes alone from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, our problem is the same problem of the people in verse 36. They see and they hear God's solution to their problem, but they don't believe it. They don't want his resolution for their sin and their guilt, because they don't believe it's that bad. Why did God go to all this trouble of sending his son to die for us anyway? Just give me bread. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
And if some amongst us are offended over this notion of needing a Savior, that's much like the people in Jesus' day who reacted strongly to his teaching them to eat his flesh. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. John 6 will go on to tell us that many disciples turned back, rejecting this difficult teaching. Will you turn away as well? Peter will confess that there is no other way. Either eat the body and blood of Jesus in faith, or starve to death for all eternity. On most weeks, we pray that God would give us today our daily bread. Do you want more from God than bills paid? A full tank of gas, stocked shelves. God is not as interested in solving all of our problems as he is in giving us himself. Ask God to teach you how to live on his daily bread, to feed on Christ, to live on him, and strive with all you have to become, in the words of Oswald Chambers, broken bread and poured out wine for the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. You alone can satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst. Bless us and prepare us to come to your table. Thank you for coming to meet with us, to be our dear and precious Savior. We pray these things in your matchless name. Amen.